Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit enrichmentretreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. If you wouldn't mind standing with me just for a few moments in honor of God's Word. We look at a man's life here who certainly had some concerns, an eminent one, and what he did with it, and then how that was resolved. In the second, uh, 18th chapter, the second book of Kings, first verse, the Bible says this. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he, Hezekiah, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. It's called Nehushtan. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. They made something that was supposed to be a blessing, you an idol. He trusted the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses." And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wheresoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even to Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. This was an uh, amazing event that this young king witnessed. Now, if you look with me, maybe in the 10th verse or so of the next chapter, 19, there's some things that take place here. This king sends an emissary to Hezekiah. Uh, he's come against up against now the borders of Judah, having overthrown this um, northern kingdom. The king of Assyria's sites are now set on Judah itself. And he writes a note. It's a threatening note um, that he will destroy this king if he doesn't surrender. It's, it's, a, it's a note that would be incredibly frightening. And this is what he does with it. Verse 10. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered. Have the gods of the nation delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Reza, and the children of Eden, which were in Thelazar? Where is the king of Hamath, and the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Seraphim, and Hena, and Iva? And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. 
And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Can I ask you to do something for me this, this morning? Just a little bit symbolic. This sermon is going to be really more in story form and probably is not the best kind for notes, but when you're seated a moment, if you wouldn't mind taking out the little booklet that you have for notes and open up this session and just hold it there for a moment with me. I'd really appreciate that, okay? Father, thank you so much for your word and the instruction that it leaves us. I pray now you'd bless the reading of this, Lord, thy word. And Lord, may we take something from it be a help to us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your willingness to stand for that length of time. Our story begins with the reign of King Hezekiah. Obviously a young man beginning to reign at the age of 25. He was a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah. 25 years old. Just so much to learn. I'm sure so much he wanted to accomplish. He reigned until he was 54 years old. It was said of Hezekiah that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Well, that's a commentary that all of us would like to receive one day. And that is the eternal commentary of the inspired word of God about this man that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. Here was a man who worked to remove false worship, to remove the pagan influence that had come into the country. He even destroyed the brazen serpent that Moses had made when the children of Israel were disciplined with the snakes. They had turned that into an idol, and he ground that to powder. Here was a man who trusted in the Lord. Now, this is what the Bible says, like none other before or after him. He was a man of like heart, uh, let's say, of King David, maybe Asa, uh, perhaps Josiah. He was a great and he was a good king. The Bible says that he claved the Lord. I mean, he had a heart for God. Uh, he followed and kept the commandments of Moses out of sincerity and truth. And the Bible says, as a result, the Lord was with him. And Hezekiah, as a young king, began to prosper. He even warred and battled against the enemies of God, taking on at that, at that point the advances of Assyria. Uh, he overcame the Ph Philistines. And in those campaigns, he found great success. But during Hezekiah's reign, just a few years in, a historic and prophesied event took place that shook Hezekiah to his core emotionally and spiritually. Now remember for some time the people of God, since the days of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, uh, they had divided into two distinct countries. To the north there was Israel, to the south there was Judah. They were still brothers. They were still cousins. They, they were still families, but yet distinct as national entities. Nevertheless, related by blood and to some degree throughout the ages by love. Israel under Jeroboam and a succession of wicked kings fell away from the Lord rather quickly. They never knew a good king, never really knew prosperous times per se, and they were falling and had fallen away to great apostasy. Judah, on the other hand, had a number of good kings, Josiah, Asa, Hezekiah. These were men who loved the Lord and honored him, and the Lord prolonged this nation a little bit as they honored him. But Israel, this northern nation, their sins were now full, their transgressions complete, and their apostasy was universal. So during the reign of Hezekiah, God, in a sovereign act, sent the king of Assyria which was the predominant world power of the time against this apostate kingdom. 
in judgment for their sins. And they were besieged, and they were destroyed. And of course, this is the land that became in time what we would call Samaria. Hezekiah watched as his brothers suffered and died. As this nation was lost as a people. I can only imagine uh, something on our board like this that would be horrifying. It would be uh, terrifying, horrific. There were eight years of occupation. Now, this nation was disassembled, taken apart, and the people scattered. Those remained, as was mentioned, they, 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 they intermingled and intermarried with, with the native people. They, they were just taken away. Eight years of occupation that Hezekiah watched. In the 14th year, though, of his reign, Assyria wanted more. They wanted more than the stolen wealth of Israel. They wanted the greater wealth of Judah and the temple. Sennacherib king now of Assyria attacks the Judah border, the border of Judah. And it's easily overcome. The fortifications are really not much there. And they advanced out of the city of Jerusalem. They sent an emissary to the king demanding tribute, and tribute would have been the gold and the silver, uh, whatever's precious they could give to the king on an annual basis to appease him and to keep him at bay. And Hezekiah willingly did that, paid that tribute. And he said, here's your money, would you, would you mind just leaving? And for a while, the king did. It was his attempt to buy off Sennacherib. Hezekiah took what was God's to try to solve his problem, though. Matter of fact, at the time, the treasuries were empty, and now he began to even destroy and deface the sacred temple, peeling away the gold that was on the doors and on the columns and pillars to give the Sennacherib. His fear was great. Sennacherib was not satisfied with that. He knew there was greater wealth to be had. So he sent an army now again to Jerusalem's doors. Another message was sent to threaten Hezekiah. He basically says this in, the, in those verses between what we read. He says this, Hezekiah, you can't buy us off. Hezekiah, you have no hope of winning a war or in, enduring a siege. You don't have the military might to defeat me. You don't have a reliable enemy or, uh, ally in Egypt to, to fight me. And he says, and your God that you rely in cannot and will not help you for no other God of any nation has helped them. The messengers mocked Hezekiah and, of course, his audience of people along the walls. They said this, Hezekiah, if we were to give you 2,000 horses, horses you, you couldn't put, find riders to put upon them to fight us back. Then Sennacherib's messengers spoke to the people of Jerusalem on the wall, saying, Don't trust in your king. Surrender or you'll perish. They said, we've conquered every nation we've ever fought, and you will be no different. Of course, the attempt was to discourage, to divide, to create doubt. It was psychological warfare against the people. So Hezekiah, the people, heard these words of threat. And, you know, what they did here is, is really not overly foreign to us. They tried to solve their problems apart from God. That's, that's the inclination of of all of us, isn't it? Especially those, you know, we are Western thinkers, and our mentality is, hey, we've got this, we can do this, you know, we'll pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, if there's a riddle solved, we can do it, life's an algebraic equation, and there's always variables we can manipulate, hey, we can make this work somehow, some way, we always think we can wiggle out of life's problems sometimes. It is who we are. 
But now here's a man who's beginning to realize that he didn't have the resources, he didn't have the strength, he didn't have the might, he doesn't have the army, he doesn't have the ability to escape this present situation. They were literally up against the wall. This was their Red Sea. They were blind Bartimaeus with no hope of sight apart from God. There was a place where they were, their only hope was only in God. And of course, that's what lots of life is like. So Hezekiah now does what he should have done at the very beginning of this threat and peril. Hezekiah does something that was meaningful in their day. Hezekiah rents his clothes. He tears them. He places sack, in sackcloth, he places ashes upon his head. These were signs and expressions of humility. You know, but what it really is is this. Um, the Bible says that faith is substance and faith is evidence. It, it's, it's something tangible. It's something that's believed in the heart but manifests itself in life in meaningful ways. So for the first time that we can see in Scripture, we know Hezekiah believes in God, but now Hezekiah is acting on that faith. And so he begins to express his humility and his need for God in real and meaningful ways. He's given up on self. He's now casting his dependence upon the Lord. He's saying, I no longer can do this. And so he's now expressing faith in the way that he knows how. The prophet Isaiah heard of this plight and of Hezekiah's actions. Hezekiah had been communing with the Lord and he sent back to Hezekiah these words, Don't be afraid of the king. For God has, and I love these words, God has seen and God has heard. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what, what, had, what, what did he see? Well, I mean, the Assyrians had long been advancing. The, the, the horses were marching. The army was there. Is that what God had seen? I don't think that's what's being referenced here. Well, what had he heard? Well, not the noise of battle, not the noise of th uh, threats. He knew about that. What had he seen and heard? He had seen Hezekiah's expressions in meaningful faith for the first time in a long time. He had seen and he heard. Isaiah says, Hezekiah, don't fret. For Sennacher will be drawn away by a threat of war on another border. And it happened. Before Sennacherib's messengers could even get back from delivering their threats, the king of Assyria had already begun to withdraw to fight another battle. And this is where the story gets really interesting. So Assyria's on the border, and they come to the gates. Now, they have to withdraw, but Sennacherib says this. He says, wait a second. So he begins to pin some kind of message to his emissary, to his messengers. And it was, it was a note of threats. It was, it was a note of fear. It, it, it was, it was a, a note of, you know, we're coming back. And he penned this paper, and then he sent this paper by way of messenger to Hezekiah. I'm going to paraphrase the letter. Hezekiah, don't think this is over, because I'm coming back. I'm going to destroy you in this city like I've destroyed every other king and every other nation, and every other city. This is not a reprieve. Don't think for a moment this is supernatural or of divine providence. It's not. I'm coming back. And when I do, my wrath will come back with me against this city. 
You cannot be saved, Hezekiah. I think what Hezekiah does next is really the thrust of my thought for us this morning. Hezekiah takes the note. He takes the note. I'm going to call the note his concern. I'm going to call the note his need. I'm going to call this note his trouble, the issues of his heart. It is what I want you to think about is on that blank piece of paper right in front of you right now that you brought with you that you didn't pin down. So you, you came to this retreat, and, and I'm sure you came because you love this place, and you love the people here, and, and there's the incredible blessing of fellowship, and oh, how encouraging that is. You, you love the music, but, but my guess is if you're involved in ministry, you also came because, Lord, I'm tired, and Lord, I'm weary, and Lord, here's this issue, and, and oh, Lord, I, I just want you to hear me. And so while you came, maybe intended taking notes on paper in the session, what I want to say to you is there might be something you want to write down on that paper that's a concern of your heart. And I want to suggest to you, you want to do the same thing that this man of God did. That he carried it to the house of the Lord. And the Bible says he took that pen and that paper and he spread it before the Lord. And then he began to pray. Verse 15 of the 19th chapter. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwells between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. All the kings of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. And open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And Lord, hear the words of Sennacherib. Lord, see the note, hear the threats which has sent him to reproach the living God. The man of God finally gets on his, on his knees and he falls on his face and he spreads out the note and he begins to pray in a, in a real and meaningful way. God, help me. He recognized this is a, a situation that only God and God alone could help. There's a thought I have as I, I read this, this story. God's omniscient, is he not all-knowing? Had any of what has been transpiring been lost on the Lord? Has not the, the all-seeing, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent God of heaven, did he not know about the armies of Assyria advancing? Did he not know that Hezekiah was in need? Did he not know the nation was threatened? Did he know that the city could, could, could fall? Don't you think that Hezekiah knew that God already knew about the note? Then why, then why do this? Why take the note to the temple? Why spread it out before the Lord? If all this was not lost on God, and Hezekiah realized that God already knew everything, why did he do this? I think for the same reason that Jesus asked blind Bartimaeus this question. What do you want? What do you want? You know, I, I, I'm not a great theologian. I, I don't understand all the, the, how, how faith works. 
But I do know this. Apart from faith, we cannot please God. Apart from faith, we can't come to God. Apart from faith, we cannot know God. What is faith is, is substance, evidence of things that's in here, the things unseen. I, I guess I might suggest an answer is this, is that God was looking for Hezekiah's faith. God wanted to hear about the problem from the man who was involved in the problem. In verse 20, look there with me. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Now look here. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Next three words. I have heard. (laughs) I love that. He heard. He already knew. He already cared. He cared deeply. But now he hears the man of God's faith. He hears the king saying, God, I need you. God, help us. The man is now expressing confidence and faith and trust the Lord. And oh, did God help. We will take time to read in verses 32 through 37. God sent an angel that slew 185,000 Assyrians in a moment. That's help. That's help. You know, so what, what do we think about when we think about this story? Or what are our takeaways? Well, number one is simply this. There are times in life when even, even the best people doing the best things are going to run into troubles of life. I'm, I'm in a room full of good people. I, I, I know. that. You know, when I say good, you know what I mean by that. It's a relative term. <laughs> you love the Lord. You have a heart to serve Him. You're doing His work the best you know how. You know, folks, we don't get a pass. We don't. And sometimes we get a little bit more, maybe the average person does, because we, we don't just carry our concerns, we carry the concerns of people. I mean, one of the things that God gives most of us when you, when you, when you pastor, your pastor's wife, is that you, you, your love for people grows, your concern for people grows. So now you're carrying the weight of you, and then your spouse, and then your children, and then maybe grandchildren, and then your family, and now a host of people. And we don't get a pass. Sometimes we're going to face situations in life and threats and perils that we cannot escape. And we're going to desperately and genuinely need God's help beyond our own efforts and abilities. We're going to face marriage problems, financial problems, you know, heart problems, emotional problems, relational problems, if not for ourselves, for other people. And here's what we need to do. We need to take these concerns and spread them before the Lord. Sometimes we're such stubborn people. Our first blush effort is always to try to solve the problem on our own. We, we don't seek God maybe the way we really could. We rely too much on human strength. And I wish it wasn't so, but we live in a fallen world that is sometimes simply bigger than us. It's simply bigger than us. But you know, secondly, we understand this, that trials and difficult times are important. They're transformational in so many ways. First Peter chapter 1, James 1, Romans 1, different place, Romans 5 rather. You know, we understand that life's difficulties are stages and platforms upon which God wants to do his work in our lives. 
And we, we can grow in character and wisdom and maturity as God allows us to navigate these hard times with him. They're always for a purpose, Romans 8 teaches us. These are opportunities for God to show himself strong. And the eyes of the Lord still run to and fro through the whole earth, looking for you, looking for me, looking for someone to say, God, help me to show yourself strong in this situation. And we do so, we receive good for ourselves, and we, we help display the glory of God. So we face these hard times, view it as an opportunity to grow in grace and manifest God's glory and to learn from the trials of life. And then thirdly, the great lesson is that when we go through these times of life, God so badly wants us to petition him. God wants us to pray. God wants us to ask for I mean, I can't, this can't be more elementary, but we're still not real good at it. I mean in real and meaningful ways. A couple years ago, I, uh, I got a big old wooden chest, and I just cut a hole in the top of it. And uh, we preached a message like this one, titled a short series, Only God. And I just gave people blank pieces of paper. And I made them available every Sunday for a year. Just blank pieces of paper with a lot of prep involved in that. And I said, when you have a need that only God can meet, they didn't want you, don't you, write that note down. And I said, if you could find the, look here, the humility, because, you know, we, we don't rent these clothes. We don't put ashes here. Here's what we often do. We, what we do is we get up from a seat back there, we walk down a lot here, and we get our knees up here. And that's what we do. It's just a different way of really doing the same thing. And we fall on our face, sometimes in tears, and say, God, help. And I watched people do that for a year. Get out of the seat, walk down an aisle, pick up a piece of paper, and almost always in tears, write their note of concern and put it in the box. And so people come back and pray for that every week for weeks or months. can't tell you that every one of those was answered because I wouldn't know. Not all that was shared with me. I can tell you this. We watch God work in amazing ways. There were people who hadn't got out of their seat for years, finally moved. You would have thought they were frozen there. But life is real. And life can be hard. And at least merits some kind of effort sometimes before the eyes of the Lord to say, God help me. You've come today, I have no idea what your concern is. It may not be that kind of big deal. But if it touches my life, it touches my kids' life, and touches my church's life, it's a big deal to me. And I don't always wear those concerns, you know, right here or right here, but they're always in here. And I don't want to carry any more of those than I have to for any longer than I have to. Now, if God wants to work in my life, I'll carry him as long as he says to carry him. Because, I, I mean, if I can't fix it out there, it must mean that I need it fixed in here. So I'll do that. But if I can see something help, that's what I want to do. It would be great if you could come to this retreat. 
make a new friend, be encouraged by the music, you know, receive knowledge, information from the teaching, and, and you're, and you're going to do that. But it would also be really great if we could leave here with maybe concern partly answered, or at least on this, God's starting to work in it. Would you do that? Do you mind taking 15 seconds and that piece of paper right in front of you? Maybe not the notes that I have provided or not, but can you do that for the next 15 seconds? Look at that piece of paper, and I mean do it right now. And it doesn't have to be a sentence. You could write, God knows. And take that note of concern to the Lord today. Spread it before him. I mean, my kids, God, my marriage, or our finances. Lord, for this person I love, I have no idea. I've just never traveled ever without that note in my hands. And then would you just take just a few seconds and bow your head with me? And in whatever way you want to, Would you take that concern to the Lord right now? You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit enrichmentretreat.com.